Adoption and expensive, two words that do not always belong together. There are 120,000 children in the United States that are waiting for a forever family, and adopting through this option is extremely affordable. I'm Marcy Bursack, an adoptive mom of a sibling pair, and also the author of The Forgotten Adoption Option. Twice monthly, I will interview people like adoptive parents and adopted children who've been touched by foster care adoption. My goal is to find more forever families and increase awareness about foster care adoption. Because if it were you or me, we would want someone to do this for us. Welcome to the Forgotten Adoption Option podcast. Today you're going to meet a foster dad who lives in the West Coast in the state of Washington. Nathan has been involved in fostering older youth for 16 years. He recently started a support community for caregivers in his state because he saw a need and wanted to fill it. We were both actually guests on a different podcast and the host insisted, the host, the two women insisted that we meet. So Nathan, welcome. Well, hello, hello. It's good to be here, Marcy. I know, and I feel like our guests, like they have no idea what our energies combined. It's gonna feel like <laughs> if I had a brother, I think Nathan would be my brother. Oh, you are so awesome. No, I, I love that they put us together because they had that same, uh, you know, level of energy. Like, so we know this person, you've got to meet them, Nathan. And I was like, okay. And then I get to meet you. So I was like, yes, perfect. So fun. And we have a heart for the same sort of thing. So it's just like our energy and our heart. Like it's, it's just, it's incredible. And you're, you're like way further ahead of me on this journey. Cause you've been in this space for longer than I have. I think I've only been in this space like six years with my kids and you've been a foster parent for 16 years. Like that's like, you just got your license, you know, like if you did it at birth. And so Nathan, what initially prompted you to go through the process to become a foster parent? Well, you know, that was one of those things I kind of knew I was going to be a foster parent at some point in my life. Um, my family had done foster care. My aunts and uncles did foster care and actually uh, adopted several kids. So growing up to me, it was like, oh, cool. There's more cousins to play with and get in trouble with uh, out on the farm. <laughs> and, you know, so I mean, that was kind of, you know, I always knew because this has always been a part of my life. And um, I was literally at work and, you know, I was setting up and doing some construction and remodeling for a company in this kid was there on a school night and it was like nine, 10 o'clock. And after the second or third night, I was like, what the heck, what's going on? What are you doing here, bud? And, you know, that was when you told me he didn't have a good home and, you know, he was hungry and we went out and uh, there's a little restaurant right there in the, in the area. So grabbed him a burger and I was like, Hey, can you tell me your social worker's name and number? And, um, called her the next day and she was one of those old school social workers that like, the kid got moved, unfortunately. It was one of those horror stories. He came home from school. The foster parent had his stuff packed in trash bags and the social worker standing out on the porch. Oh. And it just, you know, that broke my heart. The social worker called me on their boat ride from our area on the ferry boat up to Seattle. He's going to a group home and she called and said, you know, unfortunately he's being moved. He wants to say goodbye. You know, and then I was like, you know, I said goodbye. And then a couple of weeks later, she calls me and gives me that. He really wants to talk to her. You wanted to talk to him? Like, sure. And talk to him. And then she calls me a couple of months later. His birthday's right around the corner. He wants to see you. Are you willing to go up and visit him? I go, sure. She goes, okay, you got to do all this, this paperwork and backgrounds. I was like, okay, did that. And then a couple of months later, she's like, 
you ever thought of being a foster parent? <laughs> so she was, she just, you know, was the old school social worker. Like, you know, again, she saw there was a need. She saw a community member who was stepping up and she's like, you know what? You're going to be a foster parent, whether you know it or not. Wow. And you were really just kind of this like adult, like a positive adult connection. And how old was this guy at the time? Oh my gosh. I think he was probably 13, 14 at the time. Um, I had to go through all the training. Um, so I, I want to say he actually even had a birthday even before I got it. So he was probably 14 or 15 by the time he was finally placed with me. And can you tell us the rest of his story? Did he stay with you for a while? Yeah. Um, he was actually able to stay with me. Um, for about three years and then he actually went into a uh, one of the gosh what would you call it? just like those trade schools and they taught him how to actually uh he works for a local cable company and does the fiber optic installs and the cable laying so uh, you know he enjoys it he actually has a significant other now and uh, the two of them have three kids and proud to say that none of the kids have had any system involvement. Uh, so we finally have broken that cycle because that's what you see with a lot of foster kids is that generational component. Parents were in care, they're in care. So it's really exciting to see him break that cycle. Wow. And it sounds like you're still part of his extended family, if you know the details. Oh, I very much am. Uh, you know, my husband and I have a really big rules. Like as soon as the kiddo comes into, you know, our house or our kiddo, they're part of our family. And, you know, that's enabled us. I mean, I'm, I'm 37. I know I don't look like that, but I am. <laughs> and I've got five amazing grandbabies already. Just so, so beautiful. Oh, it is. And, you know, this is kind of the exciting time. Like knock on wood, I'm hoping we can all get together do the barbecues in the backyard, just, you know, have everybody come over back to the house and just, you know, be together. And that's a, you know, that's what family is. It's, it's not, you know, it's not so much of who you're born with, but you know, who you make those connections with. And these kids are the best thing I've ever done in my life. And they're part of my family now and forever. I love that, Nathan. I love that. And you, you were single when you signed up to be a foster parent and now you've gotten into relationships. So can you tell us, cause I've, I've known people, I know people now that are even adoptive parents and they're single. How did your commitment to children, specifically like being a foster dad, impact pursuing a romantic relationship? And how eager was your husband to getting on board? <laughs> uh, well, it was definitely starting out as a single parent was a very unique experience. Uh, when I finally, you know, was stable career wise and, uh, you know, with my kiddos and we, you know, I decided that I wanted to try to explore having somebody join my life. That was definitely, it's amazing how many people are like, Oh, you, you've got, you check all the boxes. But when you say, Oh yeah, I've got, you know, kids and they go, well, how many kids do you have? And you say, Oh, I don't know about 30, 40. They go, Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> So it was, uh, it was a really unique experience. And, you know, my husband, you know, we had a long uh, kind of dating process, so that we weren't rushing into anything. But uh, it definitely has been an experience for him to come in and go, you know, kind of instant family and have, you know, within a couple of years, he's already a grandpa from a couple of my kids that he's known for years before we were married. And it's been a really fun kind of unique blending experience. <laughs> Yeah, because truly, I mean, that's what it is. It's a blended family, right? Because in, in modern society, if if someone's widowed or someone's divorced, like there can be kids from previous relationships, biological or not. And so it's not uncommon, but it's interesting to hear how you had such a large family to bring into all this. And did you all like 
do any sort of counseling or any sort of like, how, how did you like introduce your kids? To this guy? Like, how did that even go? That went over a long time. It was a, it was quite a unique experience. Um, you know, my husband and I probably dated at least a year before I actually brought him home and I uh, just wanted him around the kids because I mean, as you know, these, these kids have so many people coming and going in their life and I didn't want them to have another person come in, do the, Oh, you know, I, you know, love care about you. I'm going to, you know, be part of your life and then, you know, dip out. So, you know, my husband Coon, it, you know, it was a long process uh, for him to get comfortable and for me to get comfortable and then kind of, you know, having the kids slowly introduced was really, you know, we did a lot of the dinners, probably, you know, those stereotypical like, okay, well, I'm bringing a, a good friend over and the kids are like, oh, okay. And then they, you know, get to meet him and they're, they're like, and okay, wow, he's, you know, more than just a friend. He's actually, you know, going to be your significant other. And, you know, it was just that we had lots of little road trips and lots of family, you know, games here and just, you know, something the kids really kind of slowly got used to him being around and it's worked out. We've been happily married and together for a long time. And it sounds like you were so aware of what your kids needed, right? That, that, that having a lot of change is, is part of how they've grown up or been around things. And so you were really careful to make sure you weren't just bringing anyone into the family, but you were really thinking, okay, now that I know that this is someone that's probably going to be more longer term, let's introduce someone and, and make sure everyone is familiar. That's so smart. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, you know, I definitely knew on the front side about, you know, the traumas and, you know, how to just really take it slow. But the one advantage of working with the older kiddos is there's that level of um, communication you can have and really kind of asking them, well, you know, how do you feel if I bring him over? How do you feel about meeting him? And I think that was really uh, just a, a big dynamic shift for them because they've never had that empowerment of somebody asking them about how do you feel about this person coming into our life? How do you, you know, how are you going to handle having them live here? And how are you going to handle, you know, when we get married? So I think that was just a really interesting moment for the kiddos because they got to, you know, really have their voice heard. Yeah, you gave them that voice too, which is huge. And I think it's something we really lack is that we don't allow our kids to really tell us how they truly are feeling or thinking or what is their thought process on this. And I think that's, you know, one of the biggest things is, you know, anybody who works with kiddos, as we know, is that, you know, the traumas that are faced in foster care, the traumas of loss, these kids aren't given that ability to speak what they truly are thinking and feeling. And they're shuffled from one office to another, from one home to another. Oh, hey, they want to adopt you. You're going to go to this home now. And really empowering them to say yes or no, or what they're truly feeling when they're feeling anxious or upset or angry or hurt. I think those are those things that we need to empower the kiddos to say and let them and truly honor where they're coming from. Absolutely. Well, and you mentioned office and I'm like apprehensive because emotionally when, when we had met via zoom a few months back and you mentioned this to me, like it, this breaks my heart, but I'm going to ask you this question because I think for the purpose of increasing awareness, this is like something we should talk about, but it's to me, it's heartbreaking. You told me that in your state, the foster care system, you're mentioning office stays. And I'm thinking I work in an office, but that's not what you meant. What is an office stay? So what an office stay is, is when a youth is actually in foster care and there is not enough homes for the kiddo to be in. So the kiddo is literally sitting in an office in a cubicle with the social worker. They're eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner in there. 
And then after normal work hours, so after five o'clock, they find an after hours uh, placement for the kiddo. So the kiddo gets to go to that foster home anywhere from five o'clock or as late as eight or nine o'clock. They get dropped off. They get to spend the night in that home. Then the, the after hour social worker comes back, picks them up at 7 a.m., takes them back to the office. So when I say office stay, that's literally them staying in the, the kiddos staying in the office during their you know, normal daytime hours. And then the unfortunate thing is, is that there's even to the point where we don't have enough foster beds, even just to do a night to night placement, where some of these kiddos, because of their placement disruptions or their history, actually are staying with social workers in hotels. And that's actually happened over 1800 nights last year here in Washington state where kids have been placed in hotels because there's not enough suitable foster parents to help manage their behaviors and be a placement resource. Nathan, if we were texting, I'm making the face of the emoji. That's like, like I have that squiggle mouth. Like I I worked in homeless services for a long time. And like, to me that the lack of permanency in any of those things you just explained, whether it's an office or hotel, like, it feels like you're homeless and it's a kid and it just, ah, I hate that that's like where we are. And so I I wonder, Nathan, so you were mentioning in your state, there's a shortage of families that are willing to open their home. And I'm sure that's prevalent across our country in various communities and things like that. What do you think is causing such a great need, but not enough people signing up? I would say there's there's a lot of people that do sign up. It's are they willing to go the distance? Because we kind of have this preconceived notion, and you you'll know totally what I'm talking about, Marcy. Is that as when a kiddo comes into your home, we kind of make the assumption of, well, I love this kiddo. The kiddo is just here. They know that they're part of the family. They know that you know we provide for them and. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, that's going to help resolve their, po- you know, their traumas like PTSD, reactive attachment disorder. And what I try to tell people is that, you know, kiddos are going to take twice as long. So if they've been in care for two years before they come to your home, you're looking at two to four years of them having stable, loving, supportive homes to address their, you know, behavioral issues and to have them really integrate into your home. So, I mean, it's kind of a complex issue where you have families that don't want to get the mental health services and the counseling that's really required for the kids and for the family. But I also think there's that misconceptions of, I can't be a parent if I'm single, or I wouldn't qualify because I'm an LGBTQ parent, or I wouldn't qualify for a a number of reasons. So there's people that just don't even know that they could qualify. So I think there's a lot of different facets to why we don't have enough homes and why there's the permanency issues. I think there's families that want to adopt kids and the adoption process takes so long that some of them get very discouraged. And then you have, you know, the older kiddos that have had, you know, potential one or two failed adoptions that are a little bit older and they don't have as many placement options. That's why my husband and I work only with teenagers because they get overlooked so many times. And to me, it's like, oh my gosh, I want to have a kid that I can talk to. They already, you know, can take care of themselves for the most part. They already, you know, all of those things. And people go, oh, so you, why don't you guys want a toddler or a little baby? I'm like, I don't know what to do when, when they're screaming. I don't want to change diapers. <laughs> That's scary. What do I do? But, you know, at least with a teenager, if they're, you know, if they're getting scary and getting loud and crying and all that, it's like, well, that I don't know what to do with. So, you know, I think there's just so many different, you know, ways of answering that question. But 
really, I think it just comes down to a lack of education, a lack of supports that, you know, the systems could provide for the foster parents, for, you know, adoptive parents, for kinship parents and everybody involved. Yeah. And I know for myself, like finding the information is hard. And like, what, how do you mobilize that information? Because behind the scenes, I, one of my goals is to help families in our country kind of navigate this process. And I have people from all over the country that are asking questions and trying to figure out even where to start. And it can get really hard because you have to call more than one agency because maybe someone's not calling you back. So you're Mm -hmm. right. It's complex and there's not like one, like this is the why. But something you mentioned that I think could be really informative for listeners is you mentioned failed adoptions. And I know for folks that have gone through maybe the the private and infant adoption space or even the international adoption space, they they may hear this term used um, as they, they were intending to adopt this baby and bio mom chose someone else. But in the foster care space, that's a, a little bit of a different outlook. So do you, can you talk about what a failed adoption looks like in the foster care space? Yeah. So a failed adoption in the foster care space is uh, incredibly traumatic. So that is actually where, you know, a kiddo is actually placed with that home. And they have, in the state of Washington, we have, you know, pretty extensive timelines on how long the kiddo has to be placed in that home before you can move to pre-adopt, how long the kid has to be in the home successfully before you can finalize an adoption. So this is where a kiddo has been placed to. A lot of times that kid has heard the, we're your forever home. We love you always. You're going to be part of our family. The kiddo starts to feel safe because this family's amazing. They're giving the kid everything they need to be successful. And then they start reconnecting with their traumas. They start getting scared of, you know what, if I get comfortable, what if I get moved? What if they hurt me? What if they leave me? And the kiddo's own anxieties and then the family potentially isn't trained, doesn't understand you know, what the, how trauma impacts the development of the human brain, how the kiddo's trauma responses are as they're getting closer and feeling more loved and connected. They start to pull away because they're like, you're the ones that can hurt me the most. And then when that uh, adoption finally fails and the family calls a social worker and says, you know, we just, we're not going to be able to be a permanent option for this kiddo. Now the kiddo's put back in foster care. Now you've got those little voices in their head saying, look, this is what I know. I am a, you know, a throwaway kid. Nobody can love me. I'm always bad because if, if I was good, they would have kept me. So now it's even harder for that kid because now they've gone through more traumas. So then when they come back into the system, they're usually more hardened. Now, if they try to go through, you know, to different homes, just in foster care setting, it's very challenging. They don't want to make connections. What if this kiddo now goes for a second adoption? Things are really going good, and that story kind of repeats itself. The kid's feeling safe, loved, nurtured. Oh, my gosh, this happened to me before, and then I you know, got sent away, and they told me they would never send me away, but these people could do the same thing those people did, and it just kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because everybody is concerned, and you know, we're not addressing the root causes. It's so complex, and I think it's so like you mentioned, it's traumatic. And a lot of that perhaps is because this isn't a baby and not that it's not traumatic for a baby, but when it's a person who can remember, and I know in Missouri, I don't know what the rules are for Washington, but a child has to live with you for six months before Mm -hmm. you can legally go to court and finalize the adoption. And it can be hard because you're a kid, like you remember living with that family and you had high hopes perhaps, you know? And so it's, there's like this memory, like you mentioned that we have to untangle and it gets complicated. So 
I just thought we should just be real and help explain that like sometimes that does happen. I know that that can even be a barrier to some people that they're like, well, what, how do you even know? And it's like, you don't, you don't know if it's going to be you, but you can love a kid and just see what happens. You know, it's like, how do you know when you date someone that that's the one you're going to marry? I don't know. Like, I don't have a test for you. Harmony does a good job getting you started. Right. But it's like, you can't (laughs) promise, you can't promise you're going to marry that person. And I feel like it's the same in this space that like, you just need to kind of see what happens and be open. Oh gosh. I would agree with you. Totally. Is that it's, and you also have to be willing to open your heart and soul to these kiddos and you have to be willing to be hurt. Because anytime our, one of our kids, you know, either leaves our home on their own choices or because, you know, their, their mental health needs are, you know, above what we can provide, they take a piece of our heart and soul with them. And we do have to admit that we are traumatized ourselves as foster parents because there's a lot of that vicarious traumas. And, but if we don't open our heart and soul to the next kiddo, I'm doing a disservice to them. And I tell, you know, a lot of potential foster parents, I would much rather have my heart and soul hurt than a kiddo never knowing love. Right. And I think that's such a thing of, you know, sometimes there's amazing parents out there that want to adopt, but they've been traumatized. And unfortunately, there's so much stigma in our society about counseling that they're not willing to reach out and do that work to heal themselves and to, you know, truly admit that it really hurts when that kiddo went back or, you know, we thought we were going to adopt this kiddo and, you know, the kiddo, it just didn't work out. And, you know, there's traumas for everybody involved. Absolutely. And counseling is such a healthy thing. And you're right. Sometimes people are more eager or not to go there. But I love what you said, too, that like you have to be willing to to open your heart and your soul. And I think what what kind of strikes me in that, Nathan, is if you think about yourself as the first person, like you think about yourself like being this child, right, or these children. And you think like, what would it have been to grow up without an adult, whoever it was, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, teacher, I don't care who it was, right? But somebody in your life like fully like enjoying who you were and praising you and high five, you know, like actually encouraging who you were. Like if you didn't have a single soul in your life like that, like that's why you need to pour out your heart and your soul because these kids might never get to taste that. Yeah. And that's why it's, you know, it's our job as the adults to get as much education as we can and having, you know, I have truly found that starting out my foster care journey and my friends that have been fostered to adopt, they started out by reading as many books as they can, understanding, you know, the traumas these kids go through, but reaching out and, and joining communities of other adoptive parents, of other providers, of other foster parents, and, you know, sharing in this amazing journey we call life and having those people being able to tell you, oh, yeah, my kid went through the kind of the same thing. Here's some of the tips and tricks we used. Oh, yeah, here's a great book. Oh, yeah, here's this person you can go talk to. Oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of the honeymoon phase and just all of those, you know, different parts of this, this amazing journey, when you have people you can share it with and then have been through it, they're willing to give you those tips and tricks that they never had when they started their journeys. Right. Well, and it's kind of like you're mentioning, there's this book that I know a lot of my friends that have had infants have read uh, what to expect when you're expecting. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so it tells you all these changes your body goes through as, as the person carrying the baby and all these things as this child grows up and does things in their diapers and all these different things. But in the, in the foster care world, you're not getting an infant. Sometimes you are and but there's all these other things that go on. So you're right. Like being able to bite into these books, listen to podcasts, you kind of mentioned a, books is a great resource, but what other kinds of tips and resources would you encourage listeners to go get, especially people that might be maybe interested or curious about 
uh, fostering or adopting older youth or teenagers? Sure. So there's uh, several resources, you know, that I highly recommend. Um, here in Washington State, there's a couple of websites. Uh, one of the bigger ones is evergreencaregiversupport.org. That's specifically designed to support caregivers through the whole entire process of, hey, I want to be a foster parent. I'm interested in adoption all the way through kids with me. What do I do now? Uh, and these behaviors and how do I work with them? There's, and that was uh, evergreencaregiversupport.org? You got it. Cool. So I would highly recommend looking at digital resources right now, especially with COVID. So there's other resources available out there. Most of uh, foster parents also have foster parent support groups on like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. So you can follow groups there as well. And then if you're looking at national resources, depending on what state you're in, you're going to have your state specific requirements to become a foster parent or an adoptive parent and do your home studies. So I highly recommend go on your favorite search engine, type in your state and adopt. And you're going to get a lot of resources. There's uh, national organizations like uh, Wendy's Wonderful Kids. There's adoptuskids.org. And all of those are available online. They usually provide great resources for connecting you to a person at your state. So you can do uh, an adoption home study and you can get involved and really start that process. And but I really recommend look at local resources because once you start this process, you're going to have to learn a new language because so much of what you're going to get on information on the kids and the forms is it's going to be like, oh my gosh, that's gibberish. What is, you know, a CASA? What's a GAL? What's a legally free, non-legally free, legally? You know, it's like you're doing like Rosetta Stone. You didn't know. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Like there's a whole nother language out there. Oh, I know there is. And that's why it's great to connect with other local people that have gone through the process because they can help you understand the forms and what are, what are they really asking you. That's great. And I actually have links to two of those on my site. AdoptUsKids.org is a gallery online. You can see every child available for adoption, but you can see a lot of them and their profiles. I have a link on my site at ForgottenAdoptionOption.com. And then Wendy's Wonderful Kids is a program from the Dave Thomas Foundation. And Rita Sornan was a guest recently on the podcast. And she mentioned an adoption guide that their foundation gives out. It's this beautiful PDF that talks about all the ways to adopt. And that's also at ForgottenAdoptionOption.com. So it's great. So those are some national resources. But you're right, on a local level, being able to really plug into some support systems and talk to people that are able to answer questions that can feel like, am I crazy am I doing something wrong when really you're like no this is part of the process like I had a mom recently that was like the amount of paperwork I had no idea and I was like just pretend you're getting a PhD like if you just pretend this is your dissertation and it will be as thick as it it won't be as like complicated but it's just it's a lot we're not gonna lie it's it's a lot of paperwork it really is and it's a process and um, you will find that it's just like anything in government it's turning these pages wait a couple of weeks then now you got to do this and then wait a couple more <laughs> weeks so true. That's so true. Nathan, I'm curious because you're, you're in this special space of older youth. Like there, there's a huge need for people like you. And so how did you know that you wanted specifically to help older youth? You know, that is just one of those things. Um, when I go out and I talk with uh, potential foster parents and we recruit them uh, to become foster parents, you kind of go into this with like your, oh, I know this is the age group or these are the behaviors or this is whatever I can work with. And then you'll just kind of find over time 
that it just changes and it morphs to what kind of is your family niche. And for whatever reason, you know, my husband and I have just had incredible success with teenagers. And, you know, everybody goes, oh, my gosh, you know, teenagers, you know, you're, that's, that's scary. And I said, well, you know, my most scariest kid, you know, would assault my husband and I, would punch a hole in a wall. Uh, we had to have the police here. His school had to have the police there. And, you know, there was one time that they had the police there and, you know, he was out of control and he was biting the teacher. The police officer uh, was just incredibly extremely gone. That's why I don't want a teenager. I said, well, he was seven doing all of this. <laughs> so, you know, the behaviors are what I tell people to, you know, to really think about. Because, you know, we look at, oh, well, chronologically, you're a 14 year old kid. You should know better. And I, and I remind people is that when you go through trauma, your brain isn't developing. It's worrying about that fight or flight or freeze reactions. So we know the prefrontal cortex doesn't develop. So you might chronologically be a 14-year-old, but intellectually you might be a 12-year-old and you might be a nine-year-old on how you respond when somebody raises your voice or any type of perceived dangers. So I really try to encourage people, think about the behaviors, not about an age range. Mm, that's great advice. So Nathan, do you think that you'll ever adopt through the foster care system? I think that anything is possible. Uh, you know, I'm a really big believer in is, you know, family is, you know, the most important thing and it's been an amazing journey. So I, I wouldn't discount that we might adopt eventually. A lot of the kids we work with, uh, unfortunately are already, you know, 15, 16 or 17 years old. So here in Washington, they have a lot of benefits of like extended foster care programs, access to free college, uh, trade schools, insurance, even housing programs. And if the kiddo gets adopted, they don't get some of those free college resources. Ah, that sounds so backwards, but it just is what it is right now. That's like a whole second episode, like second episode and how this is all broken. <laughs> there definitely is, you know, some challenges where it does seem a little... Um, you know, kind of backwards where, you know, the more, you know, especially for like scholarships, uh, several yeah. of our kiddos that have gotten the scholarships, I don't know what it is, but it really seems to help when they say they're a foster kiddo, they're fostering, they're aging out. That really has helped a couple of our kids, you know, get those uh, full ride scholarships to universities versus just a, you know, a, a state school. Which is huge because that unlocks doors and breaks generational issues and so it's it's a huge thing that you certainly wouldn't want to ask these children to give up but at the same time to not be able to be adopted like it's just this like catch-22 it really is and especially for some of our older kiddos that you know there's there's that level of certainty because if they're still in foster care they can actually stay in foster care until 21 where say they're adopted and their behaviors become you know concerning and the family goes hey you know what you're 18 you're an adult you're time to move out Versus if they stay in foster care, they can actually stay in uh, foster homes till they're age 21. So there's, a, you know, a level of protection as well for them, too, with their mental health. Yeah. A a yeah, that's an enormous amount of time, with all things considered. So you kind of hit on this because we're talking about, like, the things that are kind of a little out of whack. So if you could completely fix, like, something is broken right now and you could actually, like, go repair some part of the foster care system, what aspect would you pick and how would you fix it? Um, wow. I love that. If I had a magic wand, what would I wave it on? Um, mm -hmm. Gosh, I would, I mean, I would have to say here in Washington, I would love to see um, us look at having, you know, 
being more of a centralized of what is good for the kiddos and not having a, you know, a statewide approach that's supposed to work for all kiddos in all locations. So having an individualized service plan for each kiddo that is truly tailored to what is best for them instead of what is, I need to, you know, do this checkbox and have the kiddo do X, Y, Z, or they should be doing X, Y, Z. Just that, you know, personalized ability to be incredibly flexible and responsive. Mm, because that works in so many other spaces, right? That works in healthcare, that works in like dieting and nutrition. Like there's kind of a, a general path, but being able to customize is how we learn about ourselves. That's, that's a great thought that we can really help these kids. Nathan, this has been awesome. I have loved just the depth that you're able to share. And I know that our listeners hear your passion and I'm sure many of them were like, wow, I've never thought about some of these things. And so I think it's great that you've given such great insights into the beauty of some misconceptions around older youth and teens. And you've given us a lot to think about in terms of like, you really don't have to be at a certain age and stage to do any of this. Um, there's really an opportunity for everyone. So I just want to say thank you so much for, for your willingness to let us shine a light on you because you're one of those incredible people out there helping in this space. And it's it's incredible. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. As a listener of the Forgotten Adoption Option podcast, you are helping raise awareness about foster care adoption and the 120,000 children who are waiting for a forever family. You can also help raise awareness by leaving a review, subscribing, sharing, talking about, and liking this podcast. If you'd like more information on adopting a child or sibling set through the foster care system, visit my website, forgottenadoptionoption.com. There you will find out how to get started, and you can even order a copy of my book, The Forgotten Adoption Option, which will guide you through the entire process, and it is available in paperback, audio, and ebook. I welcome you to reach out with questions, comments, and your own story. I would love to hear if you're signing up for training or where you are in the adoption process. You can connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Just search for Marcy Bursack. Thank you for tuning in, caring, and sharing, because every child deserves a family.